Yo, mates, Cheeky Volley, episode 25, live from the UK, US. What's up, Brett? How you doing? Pretty good, hanging on the couch, watching some golf. What's up, Asher? Hey, what's up? Long time. We got the Cheeky special guest on episode 25 today, Tom. How's it going? Hey, man. Good to join you. Big fan of the Cheeky Volley podcast. Tom played Nick Kyrgios in the juniors, and they split sets. Yeah, so I think, so full clarity and transparency is this story does get a little bit embellished every time I tell it. And the reality is (laughs) Nick was an exceptional junior, um, and he absolutely trounced me and all other juniors growing up in Canberra. But I do have a bit of inside view as to NK as as a junior, as a young player, and... Yeah, I mean, in that match, it was it was quite fun. I mean, obviously, he was a little bit younger than me, um, which, again, doesn't play in my favour, the fact that I lost to him, um, being older than him. But during the match, he, and he was probably about 12 at the time, um, probably about 14, he did crack a racket. And the other thing that he did do was he actually shouted at his mum to leave the court. And his mum actually just walked, got up and walked away. And at that point, his game improved dramatically and he started trouncing me. So, yeah, he, he had that talent and that attitude from a very young age. But look, just generally speaking, I, I support Nick. I think he's he's a good guy off the court. He's got the charity that he's set up. Um, and, you know, I think he's an amazing tennis player and also very entertaining to watch. So uh, you've got a you've got a Nick Kyrgios fan here with me. I think he's probably Cheeky Volley's favorite player, but we also basically every episode have a Curios Corner where we, <laughs> we kind of dissect Curios game and see where the pulse is at. Um, there's so a lot Tom, to be, be spoken what, about. Uh, what frame was, was he using and what was his, his setup? <laughs> so, I mean, so Nick is a junior. I'm pretty sure he also always used Yonex. Um, he was a little little overweight as a kid um so he had a huge forehand he had a huge serve like the serve the the movement of the serve was there right from the early days he had an incredible technique he could hit big big serves right from when he was pretty small and then when obviously when he shot up in in height the serve just got this extra dimension to it but he um he was incredibly competitive and that was the case not only in tennis but also in everything right if he's playing video games and he gets annoyed um, the stories are he, he'll just smack the smash the controller or throw it down the street. Um, there's yeah stories of, of him getting sent home from junior tournaments um, after uh, doing some crazy things. But you know he, he was well liked by his peers and um, just a, a humorous sort of funny guy. I'm, I'm sure he has um, no sort of clue who I am at this point. But I did get connected with him on Facebook uh, early enough that I'm friends with him and I get to see a few of the funny updates that he posts. So that, that's it. quite hilarious. <laughs> I mean, like we could we could do an entire episode on this, but we, we've spoken about this on the podcast before. That Kiro is probably top five greatest servers of all time. Definitely. Yeah. Um. Yep. Especially with the um, and you know the 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 spin serve, like his kick serve and his spin serve are. If you look at someone like like Sampras. It wasn't just like the the big first serve, but his ability to spin the ball 
Um, yeah, I feel like underrated too that he had he you know consistently if you look at the stats he has a pretty good first serve percentage too oh, yeah. he's like always like 66 75 i mean that's well he's it's what it, it's what helps him uh kind of win as much as he does because he's pretty out of shape so having that that big serve just eliminates time that that he has to run around the... so asher since we always do this i don't think there's been much of a change in the surface between this year and last year, or the balls, but maybe briefly, if you could get into so just a, a quick recap on uh, Australian Open surface history. So up until two thousand and seven, they played on the green courts, which is a rebound ace, very slow, very sticky, a lot of injuries. Um, so based on that, they decided to change it to the the blue surface, the plexi cushion. Um, they had that for a while, and then. Randomly in 2017 and 2018, the court just became super quick. So it was just kind of medium, medium fast when they switched from rebound ace, which is slow. And then the court just became super quick, like two years, which is why sort of Federer did so well. Um, and then in 2019, they changed the balls from a, a Wilson to a Dunlop Fort. And uh, the balls are really slow. And um, that sort of helped Novak again. Sort of he won that tournament really easily. Federer struggled. He lost to Sitsipas. And then last year they they changed the surface from um, what's called a plexi cushion to a, uh, I think a green set, and I think that sort of slowed down the surface even more. So if if the courts play like they did last year, then um, it's going to be really slow. So we should expect Novak to do well. We should expect team to do well. Um, it's pretty low as well and not not that spinny. So that doesn't help Rafa. Um, yeah, uh, and then the other hardcourt guys, um, they should do fine. They're, they're pretty comfortable sort of on all hardcourts, like Zverev and uh, Tsitsipas and, and Rublev. So that's interesting because on the topic of the surface being slow, you've been pretty vocal for months now about how you thought Federer should skip the Australian Open. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. he's not playing. Yeah, now, I, as in, um, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't public. It was. Uh, it was restricted to the group chat. But, uh, but, but yeah. So I think it's a very <laughs> wise decision from Federer because I, I, I don't, I don't see how he has any chance of winning this tournament with, uh, with all these guys who, who prefer this surface um, a lot more <laughs> than he does. I mean, he played last year and he got to the semis. But he uh, he really struggled. I mean, Tennis Sandgren uh, had match points against him. John Millman, uh, two points away from winning. I think even Fuchovic was like a setup. So I think uh, I think if he preserves the body, misses Indian Wells in Miami as well, uh, gets all set for Wimbledon, and then maybe uh, he can he can be in full mm, health for the I U.S. Know. Open because he hasn't. Uh, I don't think he's actually been healthy since 2015. Like 2016, he missed. Uh, 2017, he had a back injury. 2018, he had that uh, that heat wind tunnel fatigue against Millman, and then 2019, he he hurt his back against uh, Dimitrov as well. We'll start from the top. So Djokovic versus Shardy. Obviously, Djokovic's not losing that, but I thought that could be an interesting match. But then I looked at the head to head. Djokovic is 13-0, and he's never lost a set against. Shardy. So, <laughs> let's uh, we'll carry on next round. <laughs> Actually, there's, there, there is an in, a very interesting round, an interesting player in the draw that I wanted to ask Tom about. So the veteran, Feli Lopez, possibly his last year on tour, I think he'll probably still play doubles after, but he's playing Lee 2. 
Yeah, it's a really interesting story. I think he's 24, but he is the uh, only unranked player in the draw. So he does not have an ATP world ranking. I think what makes it an interesting story is he was an amazing junior, probably up to about 16 years old, where he took time off from the sport, decided, no, it's not for him, went through an academic path, and then became a coach and has been coaching for quite some time. Really only about 12 months ago, I think he got back into the sport, started playing tournaments So during COVID and the UTR tournaments appeared, you know, UTR series, which was replacing the, the ranking points tournaments across Australia and other countries. And he had an amazing run throughout the second half of, of the UTR events. I think he went like 53 wins, three losses. Um, but they were still sort of, I guess, non-professional events. You could consider them. And then the controversy from from the eyes of some players in Australia is that um, how did he get this wild card? Because in on paper, there's a whole host of Aussie players. There's so, so much depth in the Australian ecosystem that as you can count off on probably both hands players that on paper are stronger than him that didn't get the wild card that are obviously disappointed. And so then one theory is, you know, UTR has been coming to the to prominence and they've obviously got a lot of money behind them. Did they pay off Tennis Australia? I mean, that's that's not my view, but they could have. They, they may have. Um, and certainly a lot of Aussies who just missed out, you know, the likes of uh, Dane Kelly, Luke Saville, Blake Mott, Jacob Grills, Thomas Fancutt, like these players all missed out and missed out on the 100K paycheck. So it's interesting <laughs> to see, but obviously really hope he does well. He's definitely a talent. Uh, he said he can probably beat half the players in the draw. I'd love to see him um, get the win, and that, that would be awesome for him. So what are the chances we get Craig Tyler to come on and talk about this? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear from him. You know, the other interesting thing uh, with with this uh, from a political lens is, oh, okay. um, so there's been a few key people that have been very vocal in supporting Lee too, oh, one wow. of which is Darren Cahill, who oh, I'm sure you all know, right? Esteemed yeah. coach. His children have been taught by Lee too. Interesting. So, and so, so Darren's a high-profile ah. supporter, obviously, of Lee too. Mm. So there's all sorts of politics at play. But it's 100K on the line here for Lee too. It's amazing first-round prize money. So many players battling, grinding it out on the ATP Tour with rankings around 200, 300, 400 in the world, missing out. And think about how far that 100K would go towards them and them grinding it out for a few more years on the Tour. And obviously, that's why a lot of people in the in the professional ranks and in the, in the tennis scene, um, people like Jake Eames, who's former uh, hitting partner of Wozniacki, is pretty vocal in saying, "What's happened here?" You know, it's fascinating. Didn't Hewitt take a wild card a number of times for doubles or maybe playing Davis Cup? And I feel like maybe there was some controversy. I don't know if it was coming from Tomek or someone else in Tennis Australia saying that, like, "Look, Leighton, you've you know, you're past your prime now. Maybe you should let let the younger guys play." So. Was that a topic? And do you know what, what's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, that definitely was a topic. I think politics and, and tennis has a long history in Australia. And there's definitely definitely a few other factors beyond performance that feed their way into the wildcard system. Um, that's, that's probably the view of many. And yeah, I think Hewitt, in that case, um, you know, being a legend of the sport and someone that the Australian public loves um, at this point in time in his career, 
is was probably a good choice and they they do consider what, what you know what draws the great stories for the newspapers and um how can they pull in the crowds so i think when there's those marginal calls they they do err on the side of publicity and stories and and a bit of politics but yeah i mean hewitt it was his last chance um and i think it was doubles not singles um and i think i watched that match actually with sam groth it was an amazing atmosphere it's great to see the um, the Aussie fanatics every year. I hope they come out in force for this year's AO, despite COVID. But um, it's always great. The atmosphere, you know, it's the happy slam. I feel it's got nice. that extra elevation cool. compared to the other Grand Slam. So I love the energy. love the thrill. How are you feeling about the draw? Oh, wow. Draw, I think um, yeah, there's yeah. a few interesting first-round matches. Uh, our boy, Yannick Sinner, um, yeah. favorite, favorite of the pod for sure, is up against... Um, uh, Shapo, who is um, also a favorite of the pod, but also a guy we like to make fun of a lot. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's going to be a that's going to be a great uh, great match. I think I think um, I think we were speaking about it earlier. I think uh, we we all like Sinner on that, right? As in, he had a great end to last year. He looked amazing against Nadal for like two sets at at, at Roland Garros. Uh, he doesn't have a big yep. serve, but just uh, crushes the forehand and the backhand. Yeah, so he's he's coming in with a lot of momentum too because he's won yeah. he's won a uh, a world tournament today and I mean when when I look at the draw and I look at the first round matches aside from Chilich Dimitrov as first round I mean for me this is like this is why you go to a Grand Slam to watch first round is to see a match like Sinner Shapovalov I think Sinner is future world number one I think he has like incredible upside serve maybe not there yet but. Really easy power, really balanced, got a good net game. Really explosive backhand, reminds me of Djokovic. He goes up the line, very, very cheeky shot. I mean, I would pick him in a four or five. That's a tough match, but I, I, I'd say Sinner in, in uh, four or five. So last year, Shapo lost, and you called it, Kabir, to Fuskovic's first round of, of AO. And I think someone, I mean... If you look at Sinner, he's a lot more offensive than than Fusco, but same type of thing where you have to really win the point against both those players. They're really solid off the ground, and I think Shapo, when he gets into those those uh, players that you have to have a lot longer rallies with, that's when his kind of being erratic and starting to kind of shank the ball and stuff gets gets into play. So I think Sinner in four there. Yeah, this be interesting too because I exactly what you're saying. I feel like you know this happens with Zverev too, where when they play a match, it's hard to get a bit tentative, and you know Shapo does the spinny forehands off his back foot. I'm curious, maybe Yuzny's corrected that and he'll play a bit more offensive. I just don't know if if that if he ends up playing that type of tennis, I think he loses in four. I think Sinner is too good and he's pretty comfortable coming in and finishing the point. It's gonna be a tough match. I mean, t- to some extent, this match is maybe will prove like how 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 beneficial Shapo's coach relationship with Yuzni really is. I think this is this is a very important match for both of them, but more for for Shapo. Definitely. And I mean yeah. Shapo had a had a pretty good end to the year last year. He um, did well at the the open, I think, but this this match is playing someone younger than him that he should beat. He's the seed. So this will kind of solidify him as a uh, real deal yeah. or still kind of flaky in those yeah. uh, 10 to, to 20 rank. 
Um, what, how do you feel about Sinner and Shapovalov generally? Yeah, uh, I mean, Sinner, I agree with you on the statement future world number one, and that's a really big statement. Like that's a, that's a bold statement, particularly given the the current state of the top the top players. I think he's just solid consistently. Like he's like there's not too many weaknesses. There's not too many areas where people can break down his game. That's that's sort of what I really rate about his style. He's got the perfect build for tennis as well. Serves very good. Ball toss is almost you know, sort of near perfect. You can't predict where he's serving off the toss. Mm. Um, he's he's pretty quick off the ground as well. You don't see him making too many loose errors. So th- that's what I like about his game. And then Chapeau, yeah, he's he's a real talent. I mean, heaps of firepower. He's sort of the player that you feel like he can he could cause a big a big win, a big upset, you know, probably hit the time for one. But I, I don't know how confident I am on, on a big upset from him, but it's possible. That's that's my view on those two. Yeah, that's spot on. Spot on. And yeah, I mean, Brett, that's we forget how young these players are, right? Sinner is nineteen. Nineteen years old. That's like unreal. <laughs> unreal. Crazy. All right. And Shapo's twenty one and he's been on tour. I mean, he he seems to be kind of uh pretty well versed on, on tour. He has some some experience in, in Grand Slams going deep, yeah, so does. it's kind of funny yeah. looking back on the age. Yeah, it, feel, right? it, feel, it feels it feels it feels like uh Shapo hasn't come on as much so, as we yeah, thought he's, because he's like he just yep. burst onto the scene so quick he, and he beat Nadal in like three sets in um in Montreal in twenty seventeen, which was like his one of his first tournaments, and everyone is like this guy's the next guy. Um but just because you have a big breakthrough like so early on doesn't mean that it's going to be like a linear progression to like top five, right? Expressionally, uh, breaking out in a five-set match versus a two out of three, I think is a, a very big difference. Good point. Because two out of three is almost like losing to someone in like an eight-game pro set. It's, uh, it can have, I mean, you can lose to anyone. Yeah. Okay, what about what about our cheeky volley correspondent Grigor Dimitrov versus <laughs> Chilich in the first round? So Tom, Tom, I, I don't know if you've heard it yet, but we did a two we did a two two part episode on Dimitrov that I would definitely recommend. So <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah, you guys were telling me so just even, before. It's a pretty interesting, and thing. I find that absolutely hilarious. Yeah. But he's worthy of it. He is. He definitely is. So he is... All right, so Chilich leads the head-to-head 4-2. The last time they played was 2019 French Open. Grigor won that in 5, 6-3 in the final set. That's a tough match. Um, I think, Brett, we spoke about this earlier. If Chilich is, is lost... Is Chilich washed, though? In, I still think that's going 5, though. First round, there's a lot at stake. Both are getting older. I think that's going 5 sets. Yeah. I don't know, man. He's played some mediocre tennis for the last year and a half, and it's been hard to watch sometimes because he's just not really with it. Looks like you can just kind of feel like he's just, you know, in the big points, he will lose all of them. He's just not really there. Yeah. And, like, with the COVID thing, like, he's a very emotional person. <laughs> and I don't know where he's at. Like, I'm, I'm looking at putting some, some bets in place and... <laughs> Where Chilich is, like where his headspace is, is very sketchy. And he might just be crying when he comes on the court. <laughs> so 
like even in a warm up, he he might be be shedding tears. So I'm a little worried about him there. Look, he's got a good draw, right? If 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 Chilich advances second round, he'll probably play. Actually, no. I mean, it's going to be either the wild card Aussie uh, Bolt or Gambos, and then if he gets to the third round, he'll probably play either Nishikori or Kurnia Busa. If I had to guess, I'd go Nishikori. So. Actually, I think he has a losing record. Yeah, I think I think the the, the viewer is going to be the loser in that match. <laughs> it could it could it could become a choke festival at the end. Cheeky take. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, real suspect match Ooh. first round. Don't know if I'd want to watch it live, but it's it's a it's a pretty sketch match. So team against Mikhail Kukushkin. That is such a Ooh, weird, that's a weird one. Uh, it's a dangerous, honestly, dangerous match. I I don't mm. think. And then if I'm you if you look further in team's it's, draw, it's I think uh, I don't think that's a clear win. I think I think Nick Kyrgios he hasn't he hasn't played round. tennis in a while. Um, I think he's in a good headspace. He's done a lot of good work on on the side. Uh, I think a lot of people are rooting for him now. Uh, I think him against team in round three, um, that that could be interesting. And real quick on in, in, on the topic of Kyrgios playing the Aussie Open, I, we've talked, we've spoken about this at length. But I still think his match against Kachanov last year, one of the best Australian Open matches I've ever seen. It, that match was absolutely nuts. I was there live. Oh, amazing! And. The, the whole the roof lifted off the stadium. It's obviously the best stadium for noise because it's sort of like this it's like an arena, really, and, and it just reverberates. People are banging on the chairs. Um, the whole crowd was behind him. Obviously, there was the bushfires and a whole host of other things that Nick had sort of done a really good job in being sort of the face of those events and siding with the Australian people and, and um, donating uh, money to charity from his own pocket to support Aussies. So he was really in the spotlight and he took advantage of it. And it was just such a close match as well, just back and forth, back and forth. And I remember um, getting closer and closer as well. I sort of snuck around and, you know, when the seats are, are not empty, you know, you can move in a little bit closer to the front. I was right behind the court towards the end and just near that court level um, view. So you can see not only the pace of the ball, but the height of the ball over the net. And they've both got a lot of whip. Like Kyrgios is for and underrated how much height he can put on that. Backhand's extremely flat though. So it's a really good combo. But yeah, when he won, the, the stadium just went off. It was so good. And the next match when he played Nadal was actually, I think, the highest rated tennis match of all time, yeah, which is a spectacular match. stat, right? Um, the, the viewership of that was extraordinary. It was off the charts. Yeah, I hope Nick's ready. I hope he's up for a big tournament. Uh, I know he did a little training block back in um, Canberra with Jordan Thompson yep. on indoor hard courts at, at Lynham, which is part of Tennis ACT. Um, he normally likes to, in training, he likes to play a lot of points just out of hand. He doesn't do much serving. He doesn't do much point play. That's his style of prep. Um, and he's got a sort of that core group of, of people around him that sort of there for, to keep him in the right headspace. And I think his headspace sort of may have shifted off a little bit where it needed to be um, when he lost just recently in the Melbourne 250 because I think he rocked up in the stands. He saw the stands were empty, pretty much empty, and he was um, was playing courage, which is surely a block 
blockbuster match, but there's no one there. And it wasn't because um, he's not a big personality and he can't draw crowds. But when I listened to his press conference afterwards, he seemed a bit deflated by the fact there wasn't a crowd. And I think he's someone that loves the energy and the atmosphere. So if it's not as vibrant this year because of COVID and the situation we're in, that actually disadvantages Nick. And if it's really vocal and a lot of people rock up to support him, he has always got a big chance to make a deep run because he's got that talent. And I'd back him to to get to quarters or semi if if all those things align. Yeah, yeah, it's well said. It's a really, it's a really good point. Yeah, I like him. I like him potentially to cause an upset against team in round three, but I'm worried about his round two against uh, Ugo Umber. Uh, because that's the exact type of like a uh, solid type player who will annoy Nick. Uh, <laughs> and like Nick will be thinking like I should be beating this guy. Um, but that guy, he doesn't make any mistakes. Really solid off the ground. Um, so yeah, so I, if he gets to that, then he, he could make a deep yeah, run. That's a tough one. Umber had a really, really good 2020, especially the second half, like the last couple tournaments of the year. Uh, I remember like in Paris, he did really well. That's a tough match. But Speaking of the Aussies in the draw, Tom, I know you mentioned Jordan Thompson. I think that's another great first round. He plays Casper Rudd in the first round. I think that's a five-setter, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I'd probably go with Rudd coming on top. I'd prefer to see Thompson win that, but that's a good one. And then I'm really curious to see another, again, like amazing first-round match. I'd imagine being able to watch this courtside. Tennis Sanguin versus Alex de Menor. Yes. How good is that? Absolutely. No, I completely agree. That would be a really, really cool one. Um, Tenny's is good. You know, he's he's had a deep run at OO as well, so he knows he knows Melbourne well. He he's familiar with yeah you know, what it takes to go deep into the tournament there. Alex is gonna have so much support behind him. Um he's the Aussie number one at the moment and you know, deservedly so. And he's got the seeding as well. So he, he won't want to lose first round, right? Because he's got to the point where he's earned himself some form of protection to move through the draw. But then he comes up against Tennis, who's obviously a tough player and on the cusp of a seeding or should be on the cusp of a seeding. So, yeah, we'll be interesting to see how it goes. I like Jordan against Casper. I think he gets through in five with off the back of Aussie support, but agreed, it's going to be tough. I go Demono. Yeah, I think he'll get through still, but I think it's going to be tough. And I'd say, yeah, it's probably in four or five. Yeah. Is um is Demonor the fastest guy in tennis history? Oof. He's got to be up, up there. there. No? He's absolutely up there. Is he faster than Hewitt in his prime? Hewitt in two thousand and one. I put Demonor in top five. There's no doubt he's top five. I don't know if he's the fastest. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. The other interesting one, just from the Aussie matchups, is. Bernard Tomic, like he's he's in the draw. He earned his way in. He did qualify, but I'm I'm really skeptical over what sort of work he's put in. He withdrew from one of the lead-in tournaments, the 250. Um, he's got the whole thing going on with his girlfriend and OnlyFans drama. And I I don't know. And uh, I, he's really lost everyone's support in Australia. There was a time when he was coming onto the scene where I really wanted to support him, but there's been too many incidents where. Ben Atomic Stream got the Red Cross, according to my view. So, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Dom, have you, um, have you seen that um, that sixty minutes uh, equivalent of Aust- in Australia, like the Bernard Tomic, uh, the big interview stroke documentary type thing? Yeah, uh, which I is did. on YouTube. I did. Um, <laughs> <it was> bizarre. <laughs> you got to feel sorry in the in the sense that 
he look he hasn't gone through traditional schooling he's had a very unorthodox life generally um so and and obviously he's had a it's difficult family situation so all things considered you know I try to give him benefit of the doubt I hope he does well in court but some of the things that he said I really just you, you can't justify it and yeah that that interview oh that was a shocker but it was good viewing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look Good effort for him to qualify. I mean, looking at he played like three rounds, each one went to three sets, right? Qualifying is best of three, three tie breaks, sorry, two tie breaks. Pretty good effort. So let's see. Um, I also am not optimistic about him. I mean, let's see. I mean, who would he play? If he beats Sugita first round, second round, who would you have him playing? I mean, he'd be playing. Who, who is this? Shapo or Snare. He would lose to either of them in yeah. straight. I think he's got a favorable it's, draw though. Like for him to get that first round matchup, a lot of people will have wanted that matchup. So he's actually got a good yeah, chance yeah. to win. He, he probably will get through the second round. I think he then probably bows out in the second round. Yeah. If we project and we look further in the draw, a match that I, I feel pretty confident will happen. Never really know with Rinka, but Joker Warinka fourth round. Yeah. I, I, I noticed that. It is tough. Second round, potentially, uh, potentially, Djokovic Fuksovics. That uh, sorry, Warinka Fuksovics. That is a tough match. I've said it. Fuksovics, I think, is one of the most underrated players on tour. That guy, very solid, very steady, great balance, pretty big. You know, a lot of firepower. Serve maybe not that big. Kicks in a lot, but I think that's a tough match. I think he. Yeah, would, he then, that's a really tough match. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough match, and then he has. Um... Alex's favorite player, uh, Milos Raonic, in round four. <laughs> oh man, Raonic! Round three, sorry. Yeah, that's that's a match. Um, yeah, I mean Raonic in the second round, assuming he advances, would have to get through either Corinton, Mute, or Milman. That's a great first round. I'm going with Milman in five. I'd actually pick Milman over over Raonic. I go with the upset and get Milman in the third round. Mm. But this is this is an interesting draw. This I mean, first round matchups like some great like Anderson, Berrettini, Fognini, Herbert, Dan Evans, who won his first tournament today against Cam Norrie. That's mm. that's a tough match. That's that's a dangerous match. Dan Evans is underrated. I really think he's underrated. What the reason yeah. I believe that is ATP Cup last year, he played unbelievable. Like off his face, he played Alex Dimoner, and that matchup. I think it was a quarterfinal matchup. Um, the the Brits versus the Aussies was just the level of, was e- exceptional, and Dan Evans pretty much had every shot in the book. He was playing back uh, backhand topspin lobs. He was playing drop shot volleys. He, he literally threw everything at the demon, and the demon was playing also incredible tennis at that stage, um, but lost to him in th- in three tight sets. So I think that match highlighted to me that Dan Evans really had has big big potential yeah Dan, Dan Evans is incredibly talented world-class player my only my concern is Australian Open if a bit slower hardcore I don't know if sometimes his backhand sits up he's not able to finish points with it I mean wicked slice but when he comes over the ball somewhat of a liability tough match against Cameron or he should win I, I think he should win that Four or five, that could be a really tough match. And maybe he's a bit tired. I think he's going to pounce on the opportunity. He is seated as well, so potentially has that protection, seated number 30. But that's a great match. I hope he comes through with that. 
He could he could probably play Nadal in the third round, which could be an interesting matchup. All right. So so what are what are our um, predictions for the semis? Who who's making it out of uh, each each um, each quarter? All right. Well, let's start. We start at the bottom. Nadal has a pretty clear path to the fourth round. Fourth round, he would maybe play Fognini. Don't yeah. think it would be a problem. Yeah. I have seen the story about Nadal having a what is a knee injury coming back. Is it is it possibly an issue? Do we know how fit he is? Because he didn't play. I heard back, back as well. Okay. Yeah, I like um, I like Sitsi Pass coming out of the um, the bottom quarter to get to the semis. Okay, uh, I think I think Sitsi Pass he, he kind of had like um like a breakthrough year in 2019, and then in 2020 he kind of sort of moved a bit sideways, a bit slightly back. People started to work him out on tour, um, but he's uh, he's really good and he's going to have improved a lot. So I think um, and he still hasn't he hasn't made the deep run in the Grand Slam yet. So yeah. I think he's going to come out of that um, that section. That could be a tough match. You could have Sitsipas Berrettini in the fourth round, or you could have Sitsipas Kachanov fourth round. Yeah, that's pretty tough. I momentum would say go with Sitsipas. I would. I'm going to go with Kachanov. For that. What do you think about? Don't really. Know. Wait, wait, is, 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 uh, is Kachanov is Kachanov going to beat Berrettini? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's that's. Um... I think Anderson's taking like, out Berrettini first round. <laughs> really? <laughs> that, that's a good match. I think I think Berrettini is probably just way too match fit to lose that match. You never really know. Like big server, right? Big big server, big forehand of Anderson. You know, you don't really want that to go for. That could be dangerous, but I think Berrettini should win that. All right. So you have yeah. you're having semifinal. What you said, City Pass Nadal. Uh, no, as in, as in, no, as in, uh, sits, as in, uh, I have Sitsi Pass coming out of that section. So, okay. it, as in, it, if if everyone like holds um, holds their seating, Sitsi Pass is going to play Nadal in the quarter. In the quarter, yeah. Right. Can Fognini take him out in the fourth round? Yes, uh, Fognini likes playing against Rafa. Uh, he's given him some headaches like a few times. Uh, he had that amazing match in the U.S. Open 2015 where he came back from two sets to love to beat him. He beat him in Monte Carlo in 2019. Mm-hmm. Sort of, he just he just often takes sets sets off him. So, yep. yeah, like it, it isn't the best surface for Fognini, but um, if Nadal isn't 100%, I can I can see Fognini giving him problems. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about... I want to talk about Zverev, Medvedev, and Rublev. Zverev, I like. Uh, I actually like Zverev to beat Novak <laughs> in the quarterfinal. Okay. Um, one of my consistent takes from the last year was Novak is mentally weak, so I'm uh, I'm happy to run that into this year. <laughs> but oh, by the way, by the way, uh, Zverev over Nadal. Uh, sorry, Zverev over Joker in a best of three. I can go with. I don't know best of five. I I just can't see it happening. He's not going to beat him in four. It has to go five. It has to go five. By the way, Tom, one of uh, one of the great betting stories from Brett was that in the ATP Finals of 2018, like Brett had been saying for a few months, Novak is mentally weak. He's mentally weak. He's been saying this while Novak is winning Wimbledon, winning the US <laughs> Open, and then he's like, "Man, he's mentally weak. He's mentally weak. I'm going to put money on Sasha, who had like never beaten him before." <laughs> And then, uh, and then everyone is like, "No, no, that that's just like, uh, what are you doing? Why are you setting your money on fire?" 
And then Sasha wins. And then like, everyone's like, oh my God, Brett, you must have made like a thousand dollars. And he's like, no, <laughs> my guy didn't put the bet on. Oh, no. <laughs> now I, I finally have my, my own account. So I, uh, I can win or lose on my own accord. <laughs> yeah. So Tom Cheek is big on the betting odds. So Asher is basically like a pro poker player and has made, I mean, Asher, what, 2019 French Open? How much did you make? 4,000 pounds in betting? <laughs> what no uh no 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 Tw- uh 2019 french open i made a bet because uh in the semis um the betting markets didn't realize that like everyone was just winning winning games with the wind so i was just betting on the wind every single game in like team novak so i i made uh, i might i made quite a bit off there La- last year was going to be big because i had i had made a big bet on sasha early in the tournament so when people thought he still had like problems and then he got to the semis and then he got a setup, but then eventually he didn't. He didn't beat team. So I'm still. I'm still waiting on that big uh, on the big one to get the Rolex. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe no, I should go with again this year. No, lo- and remember that. Open, remember the Australian Open 2021. We struck up this uh, arrangement with Rolex back in Monte Carlo 2019. We we're a bit sidelined with the 2020 COVID pandemic. But uh, remember, if you are in Australia and you stop by a Rolex outlet, remember to give them the. Cheeky Volley promo code, you get 5% off. Oh, that's not bad. <laughs> Keep that one in mind. Long way off uh, getting a Rolex, but one day. I mean, this is this is an episode we could do on its own. We could this is a, a great theme, but Tom is a big Tom's a big investor. Mm. Tom, how, how many years away do you think you are from being like a full-on you know Australian stock exchange activist investor, taking big bets and <laughs> doing some management? So yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is, which is why I love the fact that you're interested in, in betting and taking that from a, like a mathematical angle, is I've reached the point now where I've gone full-time uh, private investing. So I'm not going to need a conventional job, I, I, I believe, from here on in. And I've been investing love for it. probably seven or eight years. So yeah, love it. And I'll have to share some, some articles and stuff with you re- uh, afterwards on stuff like the Kelly Criterion, which I'm not sure if you're aware of, but really great way to think about how you position how, how you position size your bets because you got to avoid this sort of concept of risk of ruin right so there's an optimum amount to bet to maximize your long-term gain but to also to minimize your risk of eliminating or extinguishing your capital entirely so yeah love that angle as well and it's a good mix where you are combining that with tennis well, so two things on that. So firstly, um, I think Brett lives by the, the Zverev criterion, which is never bet on Zverev. Yeah. <laughs> I, I stay away from people that are just mentally frail. And uh, the expected value of taking a bet on Zverev is always zero. Oh, it's just too stressful. But uh, also topical, also topical uh, Tom, did you, uh, did you have any action in GME? No, no. Look, my philosophy is uh, to buy when the market is fearful and to sell when the market is greedy. And uh, this is a clear example where <laughs> I had to do the opposite of the crowd. So I did not get involved. Did you guys get involved on that one? Yeah, that was, uh, it was the first stock I bought, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, did you? <laughs> what? Uh, I tell you what, I, I just, we're, going, we're getting sidetracked here, but this is a, an example a clear example of why the markets right now are in a bubble, a bubble the likes of 1929 or 2001 or 1987. And 
it is there's this story real quick i'll tell you which is 1929 jfk day or week before the crash he sells everything and as the rumors the story goes they ask him how did you know how did you know to sell everything he said well when i was walking through the streets everyone including like people who are shining my shoes which i guess the equivalent of uber drivers today or people investing in gme were giving me stock tips and the, the market was a flush <laughs> with, with stock tips and with retail investors. And it's a surefire sign that optimism has reached heights that are, is unsustainable going forward. So beware. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I agree with you. But I just wanted to clarify that I, I made some, I made some decent, uh, decent cash on, the, <laughs> on that GMA. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> Tom, we should do an episode about that. that been, that's an interesting one to talk about. The, the downside to an economy based strictly on asset inflation. And now everyone, right? Everyone on the street giving you stock picks. So have you applied any of your trading strategies to tennis betting? That's a great question. I, I wish I could say I have, but I haven't. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in your approaches, actually, how you, how you think about betting. If it, it, do you treat it in a really structured way, like in, in a mathematical way? Obviously, you've got good deep insight into which players are doing well. I've only placed one bet, and it was in 20, 2018. I, I, Jan Leonard Struff w- was playing Federer in Basel, and it was the third time that year he'd played him, and I kind of felt he had some momentum. I felt like Federer was in a weird spot. I bet against Federer, and I lost, and that's been the end of it. So I'm, I get hyped about betting. I like looking at the odds, but I'm, I'm reluctant at the moment for the time being. I feel like... To take the next capital. Kabir like over extends his I've had really, really good calls. I really yeah, like you have really interesting takes with like fact based um information on why you think that will happen. But I think a lot of the times it just ends up being a good match, but the person yeah. that should mm. win wins. And it's it's just like this idea is so sexy that you you go with it. And I back you every time you're talking about it, and you usually don't make any bets. You made that one, but um, yeah, I think you're just a, a sexy idea type of better. <laughs> <laughs> I can pick a good, I can pick out a good match. I feel like, and you know, have a pretty good sense of like the arc still happening in the match. But obviously, it doesn't translate to betting if you only like, lose. It's only one side of the story. Like so the, I probably stay away from the market. Like the yeah. Jim Cramer of uh, of tennis betting. <laughs> Oh man, but Asher, yeah, um, have you you at all looking at the odds here? Are you you taken any any positions here? Um, I haven't taken any. I haven't taken any positions yet, but um, I think I'm going to. I kind of like. Well, um, I, I was looking at this last week, and the odds have changed a bit. Um, team is now super low. Team is like nine point two, uh, which is like like eight to one. Yeah, I mean, mate, um, I, I, I echo that. I don't know what it is. I mean, I know he only played, look, a- ATP Cup. I don't really know how much of a barometer that is for how prepared someone is going into the going into the Australian Open. If it is, I'm a little suspect. And then, like I said, Kukushkin, that is mm-hmm. not to be taken lightly. Like, it's, 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 I mean, yes, maybe he wins straight sets. I don't think so. And if he does, I think it'll still be a tough match. I'll be really, really curious to see how that plays out. Is it? Yeah, team team is team is a funny one because his like his normal speed is just like one hundred and fifty percent, and he trains super hard and he practices super hard. But 
the thing is, like, he, I don't think he's, like, driven in the same way, like, Federer, Nadal, and Novak are, that they want to win, like, 20 grand slams, right? He's just at, like, one speed going, like, super hard. Um, so he struggles to pace himself. And then he can just kind of have these weird burnout tournaments where he loses in, like, round one. Um, but then sometimes when I think he's going to burn out, like, at the ATP finals, he, he produces some great matches, like, to beat Novak and Rafa in that tournament, playing, like, incredible tennis. Um, yep. So I think he could do that again this year. Uh, at, at Australia, but um, it's just it's just hard to get a get a feel on. Even even at the French Open last year, like he came with the U.S. Open when everyone's like, okay, he's going to be super confident, and then he was just like, uh, after he lost to Schwartzman, he was like, yeah, I'm 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 very happy. Uh, I had nothing left to give, <laughs> which I, I don't <laughs> think you'd hear Rafa saying that. So again, if we project, I mean, Rublev Medvedev quarterfinal. How do you? I mean, that seems that seems likely. Uh, yeah, that that that's that's um, that's a lock, I think. That that quarterfinal. So who? All right. So who are you picking in the semis and finals? You're going. Are you are you genuinely going with Zverev over Joker in the quarterfinal? If Joker makes it to the quarterfinal. E, as in, well, as in, sort of, we were discussing with like Tom just now, in which sort of how how do you approach these things? But the thing is, it depends on the price you give me. So as in, if you were to ask me now, who's going to face in the quarterfinals, like I would just say it's like going to be Novak versus, um, who is it? Um, no, Novak versus Verev, right? But then if you gave me like a price in which it's like, if you, if you, if you sort of gave me a price in which like Zverev was like 10% to beat Novak, uh, I would say, um, yeah, I think he's definitely more than 10%. So I would, I would bet on Zverev, right? So it's, um, it's hard to, um, it's hard to give like, um, it's hard to tell you sort of what my predictions are in like a, in like a mathematical way, but um, just in terms of gut feel, uh, I think it's uh, Zverev. Zverev is going to get uh, past Novak. So who does Zverev play in the semi then? Uh, Medvedev, uh, and then I think Med- I think Medvedev beats Rublev. Medvedev beats Zverev, and Medvedev wins the tournament. That is my prediction. <laughs> who does play- Sorry, who does Med play in the final? Sitsipas. Uh, That is a hot take. <laughs> as in, as in, yeah, but as in, um, I wouldn't. As in, if 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 you if you're giving me like even odds to bet on that, I w- I wouldn't bet on that. But um, that's my like hot take uh, final prediction. I was just looking up their head to head five one Medvedev, mm, and they they have some serious beef as well. By the way, they yeah, have they a real um, real edge. And wait, speaking of head-to-head, um, this is off-topic, but and this is an easy trivia question. You should get this. But can you name a player outside of top 30, you're currently ranked outside of top 30, who has a winning record against Joker? Curious. Curious. <laughs> yeah. It was only in, it, it, it was only in uh, two out of three, and it was twice. Yeah. I think you could sense my excitement is the way I was articulating that. And you had to be yeah. curious. He has won his first meeting with each of Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer. By the way, by the way, sorry, I've I've messed up that um, that section because um, I got the quadrants mixed up. So I, my prediction is Medvedev, Tsitsipas in the semis, and Medvedev okay. gets past Tsitsipas. Uh, I think uh, Zverev comes out of the top quarter, and then in the second quarter, um, this is this is team's quarter, right? So this is the one that's like pretty sketchy. So I, I think that's where the the surprise candidate is going to come from. So it could be like Yannick Sinner, it could be Felix Auger, Aliasim, 
Um, but generally in the Aussie Open every year, there's a there's a weird semi-finalist or a guy who makes a weird run. Um, yeah, like uh, Baghdadis or Gonzalez or Songa or Verdasco. Um, yeah, Baghdadis. It's, it's, it's funny. I, you know, Facebook memories where you click and it tells you in each of the last successive years, what, what was your status? And recently my status from like, 2009 with my Facebook status was Baghdadis. <laughs> That's all it was. Just Kabir is Baghdadis. <laughs> Wait, Baghdadis, Baghdadis was 2006 though. So unless you were reminiscing in 2009 about Baghdadis in 2006. <laughs> I don't know why. There was also <laughs> Joe Wilfred Songer, which was his yep. breakthrough year oh, at yeah. the Australian Open, made the final. Yeah, so yeah, actually, yeah, you're spot on. There's always some newcomer, someone who oh. makes their way through. Not every year, but... Um, it has a, a fairly reputable, you know, a fairly high likelihood of this occurring. So who knows who we're going to see. I think it's going to be this year. I think yeah, two, two, two years ago, um, it was uh, Hyun Chung, oh, yeah. uh, the Korean yeah. guy. I don't, I don't know what's happened to him. And it was also, and it was also Cheeky Volley's um, uh, person, a tennis player who we like to talk about the least, uh, Kyle Edmund. Uh, <laughs> he also got to the semis. So I'm going quarterfinal, Sinner and Chilich. Chilich? Yeah, yeah, look look at Chilich's draw. So first round, let's say he beats Dimitrov. Second round, he's got Bolt or Gombos. Third round, he's going to get either Nishikori or Karenio Busta. I I, I think he has a losing rush against against Nishikori, but Nishikori is also coming off an injury. Ball's a bit slower on this court. I feel like that's going to favor Chilich. Again, if we if we talk if we think about like the trends, if there's always a breakthrough player in this tournament, I think it's going to be Sinner. Maybe maybe Rublev. Right? Maybe Rublev makes a semi. I don't know if that's a breakthrough though because he has incredible momentum. But I think Sinner is going to be his his breakthrough. And can Rublev beat Medvedev though? I just feel like over five sets, Medvedev is too smart, and he uh, he just figures things out. And and Rublev's kind of one dimensional. Yeah. I agree. But see that though, I. Love watching him play. Incredible, right? I didn't think he'd be as successful as he is now because of his one-dimensional game, right? It seems like, you know, his, his strategy is just each ball into the corner as hard as you can. But, mate, he makes uh, it work, right? Uh, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't... I just... I almost don't have a good read on Medvedev anymore. I, I don't... Uh, sorry, on, on Ruba. Like, I don't... Like we talk, we've spoken about like who has the highest ceiling, right? Like Sitsipas, is it Med? Is it Zverev? With Rublev, for me, it's a question mark. I don't really know. Like, is this, is is this, is is he kind of plateaued? And basically, every year he'll win a couple five hundreds. Maybe he wins a Masters or two. Maybe one year he wins Paris. Or can he actually start consistently getting into week two slams and win it? Yeah, I think uh, I think sort of in the ATV finals, especially what I noticed is that. Um, his serve does have like really high potential. So if if his serve can get uh, sort of like close to the curious level of serving, then he has a chance. Um, otherwise, otherwise his his sort of just general game feels a bit too one dimensional to beat uh, to beat these guys who are slightly ab- ahead of him, like uh, like Medvedev, Zverev, Team, uh, Sitsipas. If you were in a park, if, if let, let's say you were you know in central London, you're walking by Lincoln's Inn Field. Uh, <laughs> You can see that someone is playing tennis. You're far enough that you can that you can't see who it is, but you're close enough to tell that it's like um, you know someone reasonable. But it's it's Medvedev hitting forehands. Would you walk? But you don't know it's Medvedev. 
would you would you be would you walk by or and just be like, all right, let me carry on with my day, or would you go and watch him play? I still think if you see him train, he looks like he's playing in a, like a park player. Recreational <laughs> <laughs> weird ground strokes, you know, kind of a sketch vibe. I'd probably just probably walk by. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, he he looks like he hasn't been to the the Moritoglu Academy of like uh, <laughs> of, of ground strokes, as in he has this weird forehand which kind of just floats. Uh, it's not it's not like a flat shot and it's not like a topspin shot. He just he just hits this float floating one and then it just goes deep like for a winner and and then the other guy is just confused. Yeah. On what it's happened. not just the forehand Speaking either; it's the backhand as well. The whole game's unorthodox, but it's that's why it's successful. Uh, he's got so much variety yeah. in his game. You talk about uh, Rublev before it being like almost robotic. Well, with Medvedev, it's the complete opposite. He's got so much variety. Think of his drop shots. Yeah, his yeah. drop shots are next level. Oh, yeah. And up there with Kyrgios's ability with drop shots and his hands the net. So all that stuff is um, makes him so good. But I agree, it's so it's so odd. Yeah. <laughs> you would you would walk. My, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so you know, My, back, uh... ground strokes. Um, Tom, back in Michaelmas term, back in November. I was sitting in a seminar room, the business school, not quite evening or late afternoon where the sun is coming down. And I was sitting in the room watching, you know, uh, doing, doing some work. And you walked by, you walked by the quad. I could see you through the window. You're wearing a beanie. And I looked at you. I got up out of my seat and I sent you a slice. <laughs> but you just kept walking by. I don't think you realized it was me. <laughs> it wasn't me. Uh, trust me. I would have returned that. I would have returned that. <laughs> Definitely a lookalike. Yeah. I would have returned that with, with the backhand or another slice. Trust me. When, <laughs> That's um, hilarious. That's great. When Kabir was gonna, like Brett, we're gonna say something about our boy uh, Daniel Medvedev. Oh, Med. So I, all his strokes, he has the ability to hit outside to inside on it, and that's where he puts mm. that like on each wing, a tailing away side spin. Yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. It it's a shot that Fed uses when he approaches. Sometimes, like he'll he'll use that little like slap shot. Will he'll come at the inside of the ball and it'll tail away. But Medvedev hits that just his normal rally ball. Um, so I I think his ability to do that is only um, only really possible because of his insane hand eye coordination. Because if if you hit that shot. It like you guys were saying, it floats, so the ball doesn't come down. It it just kind of keeps sailing in the air. So that is just what what makes him so good. His ability to kind of mix it up and then change the pace because he'll do that slow, and then you'll be kind of lulled to sleep, and then he'll just rip one. So yeah, his ability to rip the backhand up the line with side spin. Yeah, is, yeah exactly. And his 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 so, serve is like definitely top five like his serve is really good yeah Uh, i think i think yeah yannick um they asked yannick center sort of who's the toughest guy uh, to play and he said he said medvedev medvedev off the ground um is by far the um, the the most sort of uncomfortable he's uh, he's been against in terms of in terms of the best guys out there but uh, aside from his ground strokes which we've been discussing i think his um his mental game is just incredible and his uh, his ability to find solutions, um, what he did against Rafa in the U.S. Open when he was kind of almost down and out was 
uh, I think one of one of the great examples of uh, of problem solving on, on a court, and not just problem solving, but he was he was just serving volleying on on second serves and like executing as well, and just even when he missed, sort of he had the discipline to sort of continue with the same strategy. Hundred percent, I completely agree. You you think back to his early career and what he was like as a person and his attitude, very very focused and also very aggressive. Now he's peeled that back a little bit, and it's still. It's still there in his personality, but he's extremely competitive on the court. Remember how he had that like verbal slinging match with a few players at the cross of the net and then after the match? Yeah, um, yeah that's that's the sort of person he is in the sense that he mentally is wants to come out on top in every single situation. Like even look at the ATP Cup recently. He was almost broken back as he was serving out the match. I think he saved break points four times on his serve and then he closed it out. And like that's something where Zverev in the same position would have uh, stumbled. You know, you'd you'd see a double fault. <laughs> <laughs> I put Medvedev top three in the world mentally, maybe even top two. Yeah, he. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's the thing. So you know, when, when Medvedev, I'd say in 2019, I think unanimously on this podcast, we felt that Medvedev was a obvious multiple Grand Slam winner. I don't know if that's changed now. So let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, do you see him as winning, you know, winning six, seven, eight slams? or Six, seven, eight is, is impossible to, to predict. I think, I think he wins at least two, at least two hardcourt majors for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. It's the hardcourt. That's where his strength is. I do see him getting a, a win on a, on a hardcourt Grand Slam. Can he become a better grass court player or would grass is it you either have it or you don't? I think that's really interesting because his sketchy side spin stuff is actually really good on the grass. Um, the issue is that his weakness is against uh, the low ball too. So against like slices, especially, he doesn't really deal with that in the best way. Yeah. But um, he his movement is incredible. And I think if you if you look at the guys that have won Wimbledon, it's, it's, it's like the best movers basically who also like happen to be the best players like Federer. Novak. Quickly, though, two players that I think we, we haven't spoken about that are really interesting to talk about here. So one is Diego Schwartzman. So he would potentially play Sinner or Shapovalov in the fourth round. That is a tough match. Sinner and Schwartzman, very similar styles. Sinner is probably a bigger version of Schwartzman. I think I'd say Schwartzman probably has more firepower. Uh, we've said it before, I really do believe, obviously, it's hard to just make a statement like this, but if Diego Schwartzman was 6-1, he'd be top four in the world. It's a big claim. Yeah. I think you're right, but would he lose a lot of his strength as well, right? The fact he's got the low center of gravity and the speed and like all this, all of his strengths are because he is short. Yeah. But the talent from it's the just, staff perspective, I agree. The ball striking ability from that guy, I think it's just unreal. Like Burditch level ball striking oh, yeah. ability. Yeah, yeah, no, as in as in for sure. And I think I think an analogous um like uh, something analogous to that, which which we can say is that sort of the accomplishment in in twenty twenty one where the game is so physical and you have to be an incredible athlete to be in the top ten and to sort of really um challenge Rafa at the French Open with like a five foot seven uh, skinny frame is um it's kind of one of the great achievements sort of uh, on, on tour, I think. Do you want to hear a crazy stat? <laughs> this is this is good. Okay. So when Swartzman reached the quarterfinals of the 2017 US Open, 
He was the shortest Grand Slam quarterfinalist since 1994. Michael Chang? Michael Chang. No, Jamie. Jamie Yazaga. And I've never heard of him. And he's from Peru. Yeah. Right. You know who that is? And then Schwartzman said to the media, it's not just for the big guys here. Yeah. <laughs> Legend. Yeah, he's a good guy. The another next gen player that we haven't spoken about yet, but clearly we need to, seeded number twenty. Let's talk about Felix mm. Auger Aliassine. Mm. Lost to the final uh... Dan Evans. Has tweaked his serve technique a little bit. Obviously, someone's been on the radar for what, two years now? Broken in the top hundred very quick, broken in the top thirty very quick, now seeded twenty. How do you feel about his draw, but also maybe what's at stake from this year? He's um, he's another of those interesting guys who, um, like two years ago, uh, what he was doing at like 18 years old, um, it seemed like he was also destined to become like a world, a future world number one um, with his sort of athleticism and his ground strokes. But then he, in the second half of 2019, he had a real dip. I think he didn't, I think with, with a lot of these young guys, they don't manage their workloads properly and then they get exhausted by the, by the end of the year. And then last year sort of was a bit of a write-off. Um, but he, he was training hard at, at Rafa's Academy um, over, over the winter break. Um, he, has, he has tons of potential. So yeah, I think that he's, uh, he's potentially like one of those um, surprise semifinalists from that section of the draw. You know, the, the thing about Felix, obviously so good off the ground. I, I don't know about the serve. I don't know if the serve, the return, I, 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 I can't imagine him beating Joker or Medvedev in a yeah. four. Yeah, I, I like he, he can be a surprise semifinalist if he doesn't have to play any of the, um, any of the big guys. But I, I don't see him beating any of the big guys. So, yeah, yeah I think that's, that's as far as he's going to get. Another player to watch that has an interesting story is Carlos Alcaraz, 17-year-old Spaniard, trains at the Nadal Academy. His coach is Juan Carlos Ferrero. He's, he's been great the last year and a half on the Challenger Tour, um, winning some big, some many tournaments. And now he's qualified for Australian Open. Don't know how far he'll go. I mean, if he gets past his first round, he could have an interesting second round, uh, pass probably against Hurkacz. Sitsipas sit, Hurkacz in third round, that's a dangerous match. I don't, I don't, I don't know if Sitsipas is a clear favorite to win that match. But anyway, so Tom, what's your pick for the final? So I'm a little bit traditional here, and I love all the talk about the the newcomers. But I think you've <laughs> got to think about who has just done this over and over and over again, and has still yep. as ambitious as ever. And wants to set these incredible records, which are already extraordinary. So my pick is Djokovic Nadal. It's going to be a Djokovic Nadal. <laughs> it's the fan favorite, right? It's the one we want to see. Um, I do think there's a good chance of it happening. And you know, if they get both get to the final from there, it's it's really a it's really a tough one to pick, right? So many close battles between them uh, in the past. I would like to see Nadal take it out. I, I, that would that would bring me a lot of joy, Nadal AO twenty twenty one. It'd be great. 
Yeah, the, the the issue with that is that I don't think Rafa's beaten Novak on a hard court in like um in eight years. That's, that's uh, a big uh, barrier. That's right. But he had a close one, a real close one, not too long ago. Which one was that? I think this was actually AO, if I recall correctly. Let me just double um, check. No, no, he got, he got crushed. He got crushed two years ago in straight sets. They had a close one in 2012. 2012. Um, yeah. And they, they had a close one at Wimbledon. So And and Novak's really good at Wimbledon relative to Rafa. So, um, was it, uh, yeah, 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 you're right. It was Wimbledon. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. That, but that was that was the match they played under the roof, right? Yeah, yeah, was, exactly. Was, that was a classic. One of, one, of, one of the best Wimbledon matches for me. Yeah. yeah. And and that was interesting because when I I, uh, I rewatched the highlights of that recently and um, sort of obviously people remember sort of the Novak's passing shot against Federer in 2019 Wimbledon uh, on match yeah, point. Yeah. But, but um, Rafa actually had a virtual match point, so he had a break point in the fifth set, and it was the exact same thing in which he approached Novak's forehand and Novak played the exact um, forehand passing oh. shot uh, to Rafa. Um, That's gonna hurt. Which. Uh, Wow. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, Rafa's definitely got that ability to just make another Grand Slam final here at the Australian Open. I think whilst there's been talk on his fitness and a whole host of other things, and we really haven't seen him in action in the, the pre, the, the warm-up tournaments, he's just a player that absolutely has it in him to make another final. So I, I feel like we might see that. And of course, that was the final last year, right? So... Who knows? Could could be a rematch in the making. Two years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, in in Rafa's favor, uh, his draw is actually much better, f- uh, much better because the guys who he he has to get through are like Sitsipas and uh, Medvedev, and those are two guys in which I feel like he does have a matchup advantage against. Yeah. Um, even though even though it would be close, I, I think uh, guys like Team and Zverev and Novak, um, he would struggle against them more. Here's a question for the three of you. How much do you think the Grand Slam record weighs on Nadal's mind? Because I know, I think we all agree it weighs on Djokovic's mind heavily. <laughs> but but <laughs> Nadal. Well, okay, it's, that's a great question. I, yeah. I, honestly, I think not much at all. I agree. I think, I think Rafa is just so motivated, just like on a... Um, on a day-to-day basis about putting in like max effort in training and matches. And he just loves that so much that he doesn't, he doesn't think about it much at all. And then if he gets there, he's happy. If he doesn't, he's still really happy. Right. With Novak, as you said, as in, if he doesn't get there, he, he goes into dark Novak <laughs> mode. <laughs> yeah. You, you guys couldn't have explained it better. It's, it's just Nadal enjoys the grind and he loves it. And Joker is just this greedy, evil slimy uh character <laughs> that that no one likes and every single day when he goes to bed he just thinks about winning more and taking more <laughs> and uh it's a very that's a very Elliot, Elliot Looney yeah. thing <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. he's good he's he's very good I feel pretty good about seeing the Dal Djokovic who would I like to see in the final Warinka Sitsipas <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still, I, I would love to see Morinka make one more run. Yeah, same. I think he's got a good shot to get to the fourth round. I always think he's a good matchup against Joker, 
right? That happened. We saw that at the US Open, Joker kind of sketch pulled out of that match. I still think that's a good matchup. Sitsipas is that's always going to be a tough match against Medvedev. He's lost him five times, but I think that gives him some some real motivation to to go deep here and and maybe pull it off if that's a matchup. So that's what I'd like to see. Brett, who do you have? Um, I'm gonna go. So I I put just like fifty bucks on Medvedev to win it, but I think. What are the odds? Uh, I think he's like he's, plus. He's at five. I well, I don't. My odds are always crap. Um, but I have like plus three hundred, which isn't that good. Plus three hundred. That that sucks. Uh, I gotta. That's terrible. I gotta figure out what what's going on there. Usually, if I do like live type of stuff, it's it's better. But who do I have? I think. I mean. I think maybe Djokovic over Sissipas. In the yeah. final? I like yeah. that. That'd be a great That match. could definitely happen. Yeah. Because you got... Probably more realistic than my Warinka, Sissipas. Nadal's kind of weak, like, physically, and there's been some reports he said he's not feeling his best. Um, that bottom half's pretty open. And I think hooked him out of there. But just, I mean, Djokovic is such a, I mean, just every, he just proves himself every time that, that this is all that. He's not losing. Know, this this is all he cares about. Not losing. Yeah. Asher? Uh, I have, uh, was it, I think I've, I've, I've met with a winning. Um, I like that. I have Medvedev winning, and I think that he beats um, Zverev in the final. That's good. That that will be that. That's that's a good take. All right. So if Medvedev wins it, how many Techni fibers will you buy? <laughs> um, three. <laughs> the the Techni fiber thing is just bizarre. That just like adds to his like. Quirkiness, like the the racket. <laughs> <laughs> I found a photo of you the other day playing in the juniors, hitting a forehand, like a lot of really coming under the ball. Man, I'm pretty sure you were using a Technifiber. It was it was a pretty weird time in my life. Uh, I, I, Wait, you used a Technifiber? Well, I got a, a semi sponsorship from them, so I was paying like fifty bucks for a frame or something, and then free string. And no one else because is, is there at all correlation between you paying fifty to get Technifiber and you putting fifty on Medvedev to Ooh, win it? That that could be coming full circle. <laughs> yeah, Technifiber sketch and um I I don't know. I mean who else uses it besides him that's actually good? Like I I know John Millman. John Millman does also pretty sketch. <laughs> Feliciano, no, 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 it wasn't Feliciano. It was um, what's his name? He used it. The lefty. Rodasco yeah. used it for like a decade. Oh, Tipsarevich. Yeah. yeah. Tipsarevich used it. Yeah. Bagdadis, Bagdadis used it as well. No. He was using Fisher. Uh, he was Fisher. Fisher. Oh, f- that's even that's the that has to be the most sketch. Yeah. No. Fisher just like recycled skis that they put into a tennis racket. <laughs> <laughs> What was a weirder time in your tennis life when you used Technifiber or when you used the Bablad Pure Bablad Storm? Bablad Pure Storm. I, I was a, a lost soul. I, I should have stopped playing. 
<laughs> Tom, Tom, what what do you use these days? I use a Bablat Pure Drive, uh, but with the additional half inch, so it's the uh, Rodic version. Oh, the, the anti, yeah, 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 the Andy Rodic, Rodic special edition. So it's a it's a good nice. one. It's a bit heavy, three hundred and thirty grams. So it's got a bit of extra weight in there, and of course the extra length as well. So. You know, some players pick up a few niggles after using it. I, I have in the past as well, but um, I love it. It gives you that extra reach as well. For a good friend of mine jokes mm. that I've got like an extender on. So I'm yeah. going, out, going out wide and you just manage to get balls back that you wouldn't with a shorter racket. So mm-hmm. it's like you've got an extender arm with that racket. Do you, do you tell your opponents, Tom, that like before you start hitting, you're like, by the way, I'm I'm playing a twenty seven and a half just so you're you're gonna need to go through the lines just to kind of get in their head. Just to yeah, just to get the mental game yeah. up a notch. <laughs> just to, it's in the back of their mind. Exactly. Speaking of rackets, because we always always go up in the tennis talk. Do you know Djokovic's string pattern on his custom head speed? Was it 16 by 19 or something like that? 18 by 19. 18 by 19, really? Kind of sketch, right? Really sketch. <laughs> yeah, 18 by 19. Because usually... And he uses... 16. He uses an... Go ahead. He uses a longer racket. Yeah. Now, he also uses a longer racket, and it's 18 by 19. Do you think the longer racket... I think, like, it, it's... Like visually, like yeah, you can say it's a little bit longer. You can get to more balls, but I think more of it is just a little bit more stable, like on the ground. Like it's not as good coming to net maneuverability, but I think it's a little bit more stable on those returns and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the return is the underrated aspect of the the extra length. So everyone knows about the extra power, and you're meant to yeah. get a little bit more pop on your serve. But I think it's actually the return that where it really helps you. One for the extra reach, but also just in balancing through your your strike on the return. Um, particularly on the back end, if you've got a, like a flat back end, and yeah. then you got an extra bit of length as well, it's a really good combination actually. Sort of like what Curious does, where you can just steer it. Yeah, um, Kabir, you got to figure that out, man. We we got to get <laughs> you like a a twenty nine incher. I basically only slice now. I've lost faith. Oh, you know what I'll say is, I've been playing in, in New York, and I've been using Alex's Pure uh-huh. Drive, and I feel like I can finally come over my backhand, my two hand. Nice. And it's yeah, it's like a very good feeling seeing a backhand and not feeling like anxious. <laughs> like, oh man, I gotta slice it, and then the slice falls short, and I lose the point. I can actually Brett, come over the ball. <laughs> Brett, I hit I hit with Kabir in uh, in September, and there was um, there was a lot of improvement from from when we played when he was hitting backhands like straight into the ground. <laughs> it, was, it was like Berrettini, but very nervous in a in a match. It's like either it, it's going to land before the service line on his end or over the fence. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot. There, there is a lot going on yeah, my back. My, my palms yeah. are starting to actually sweat based on this this conversation <laughs> right now. So I contra- No, I will. I, I think I'm thinking of getting a new frame. It's either going to be the Pure Drive or the E Zone 98. Dude, the Kyrgios. I think. Yep, you, I mean, I think the the Yonex is a lot just more stylish, but the Babolat is you're going to hit better backhands with the Babolat. Mm. Yeah. What we need at this stage, yeah, yeah. All right, mates. The Australian Open starts in twelve minutes. We got to get this episode up. 
I think we might have lost Kabir. Surprising. We lost him. Here's a question for you. Who's your favorite non-US golfer? Because the rankings are just dominated by guys from the States, right? But if you filter them out, who would you pick? Who's your favorite? To be honest, I don't really like any golfers. <laughs> They're also corporate. Uh... There's less personality at play there. Yeah. I used to, I used, to, I used to like Sergio, but then he's, his behavior is a bit suspect. Yeah, Sergio is sketch. I, I mean, I like Rory. I like watching him play. I think he's one of the best ball strikers to ever live. But um, yeah, Rory, Rory has the best swing ever. Rory, I think his draw that he has is beautiful. It's effortless power. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, my golf coach said that if he had the brain of Tiger, that he would win like thirty majors oh, because I bet his swing is just so good. Actually, did you guys mm. watch the? Um, it's on HBO Max, the show or the documentary that came out called Tiger. I haven't seen it's it yet. Really good. Okay, all right. I I got a roll though. Good good chat with you guys. All right, mates. It seems that uh, Kabir has just dropped. And um, and Brett has dropped as well, so it's just it's just uh, us two left. So um, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you to our sponsors this year, uh, Lufthansa. Unfortunately, due to COVID, sort of we're not able to sponsor the podcast, uh, but we do have, as Brett mentioned, sort of a, a new sponsorship with Technifiber. So if you go to tenniswarehouse.com and enter cheeky techni, uh, you'll get thirty uh, percent off on all Technifiber rackets. We still have our Rolex, so shout out to Rolex as well. Um, and yeah, um, thanks, uh, thanks to everyone. Um, good to have you on the pod, Tom. And um, we'll be we'll be back on soon. Uh, thanks for listening.